Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. we got a lot going on today. For a Friday especially, there is a lot of stuff uh, breaking in the news. We're going to try to keep it all in front of us here and keep you on top of it. I want you to always be the smartest person in whatever room you go into. Um, welcome to our show, Jack Riccardi on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. So there's a pretty big uh, Palestinian protest in New York City right now, and I was just looking at some of the local like TV stations, and apparently it's getting pretty rowdy. It might be getting a little out of hand. Uh, these things are getting bigger and bigger. Um, and you got to remember, we're really only in the early stages of what's going to happen uh, as the Israeli ground invasion happens. And I have some stuff on that I'm going to tell you about. Um, but yeah, this is getting uh, this is getting to the point. Well, I, I would say this: today looks like a day for a lot of people sorting out and and choosing up sides in this country about what is happening over there. So we'll talk about that. And then there's there's another breaking story out of New York City today. This is just coming down. The FBI has seized Eric Adams' mobile phone, the mayor of New York City, the Democratic mayor of New York City. The FBI has seized his phone. There is an ongoing investigation into whether Adams and some people working for him in his 2021 campaign uh, were either taking money or soliciting donations from the government of Turkey, which would be illegal. But I, I'm, I keep wondering when I see these Eric Adams stories. You know, Eric Adams is kind of a thorn in the side of the Biden administration. I mean, he, I, I'm not, I'm not saying he's he's a Reagan conservative, but I mean, he's he's a Democrat that keeps pointing out inconveniences about the the Biden border strategy and. Uh, what have you, and uh, they, they don't care for him. I, I, I don't think he's one of their favorite people. So you kind of wonder now when you see the FBI do things like this, uh, is this an actual corruption investigation, and or is it political payback? And then there's also a breaking story today in the sports world. This is just coming down this afternoon. Jim Harbaugh, the head coach of the uh, number 2 ranked Michigan Wolverines, has been suspended for the remainder of the regular year over their sign-stealing scandal. This is a big deal because this is a playoff team. This team will be in the college football playoff, barring some kind of total collapse. And uh, and they'll win without him. It's it's not that they can't win without him. But uh, the, the controversy is that a guy working for the Michigan program was traveling around the country uh, going to practices of of uh, you know rival teams, and uh, allegedly stealing the signs that were being sent in from the sideline uh, to the players. It's not actually. I was reading. It's not actually illegal to figure out the other team's signs. It is illegal under NCAA rules to use advanced scouts or any electronic devices to do it. This we talked about this before. This whole thing would be obviated if they would go with the radio helmets that so many people are uh, resisting this is like a 
This is almost like a like a throwback scandal for 21st century college football. So anyway, all that's going on. Breaking. We're staying on top of everything uh, in the news. There is a story today, going back to uh, Hamas and Israel, there's a story today that I, I, I'm a little skeptical of, but I want to share it with you and, you know, let's see what happens. There's, there's a number of videos out today that appear to show Hamas shooting and killing um, its own civilians. Now, remember that they have said they want a ceasefire for civilian uh, evacuation, that Israel is committing genocide in Gaza, and they've been saying it, but they haven't been proving it. And so these videos would appear to be the creation of martyrs. Hamas is making its own martyrs. And we know from their behavior that they're not really too particular about civilian casualties or endangering civilians. And they tell their own people that if they are martyred in war against the Jews, they will, you know, go to eternity. But it looks like they are shooting their own people who are trying to evacuate. So what's happening is in a number of places, the Israeli defense forces are surrounding hospitals and people are told, come out and get out, because we're coming in for the Hamas uh, operatives and or arsenals that are in those hospitals. But if you're a civilian, come out and get out. And Hamas is shooting them and killing them. I, I don't, I'm not 100% sure about this. I want to be sure about, about it to, before I sound like I am. But um, that is definitely, if true, one of the most hard-hearted, um, cynical uh, things we've we've ever seen, and it would make the point that many of us have been making all along, which is that if you are saying you're concerned about the deaths in Gaza, uh, Hamas is responsible for them, and maybe literally as well as figuratively. You know, I think the Nazis were responsible for the deaths of Germans in World War II. I think the Nazi regime and its... And by the way, the last year of that war was completely futile. It was clear they could not win. So every German who died in an Allied bombing raid really died at the hands of his or her own regime. And would the intelligentsia of 1944 and 1945 be calling for a ceasefire? Were they? I don't think anybody was. I guess if we had today's intelligentsia back then, they would be. The thing you have to remember about the word ceasefire is that we were actually in a ceasefire on October 7th. That was a ceasefire. And it was a calculation by the Israelis that they could put up with occasional rocket attacks and occasional incursions. Uh, They could uh, extend work visas to Gazans. They could provide electricity and water, even to people that were swearing to kill them. Even if the government of Gaza was doing nothing positive, 
all those things Israel felt, coexisting with it, living in the shadow of it, sustaining the attacks, was better than all-out war. People having to run to bomb shelters in the middle of the day or night, random attacks, was a small price to pay compared to a full-on war. So when I hear people say that Israel's being stubborn or defiant, they were being stubborn and defiant in the first place. And what happened on October 7th changed the calculation. When you've got thousands of people killed, tortured, raped, taken hostage, because the people you were trying to coexist with stocked up on weapons, took the things you gave them for sustenance of life, and turn them into preparation for war, then you have war. It was still technically a ceasefire on October 7th. You don't hear the people in the streets now saying that, or maybe they don't even know it. No country would take an attack like they took on October 7th without responding to it and going after the responsible party and ensuring it couldn't happen. Again, I say no country. I guess no country would take that except a country that could expect a larger, more powerful ally to do it for them. And Israel doesn't have that. They don't have somebody. They don't have NATO. They don't have a mutual defense situation. They, they're doing what only they uh, can do. So we'll talk about that. Columbia University is now suspending some anti-Israeli student groups, including Students for Justice in Palestine, SJP, and Jewish Voice for Peace, saying that these, univers that these university uh, groups, quote, repeatedly violated policies relating to holding campus events. Uh, suspension means the two groups will not be eligible to hold events on campus or receive university funding. It's kind of a narrow technical rebuke. Like, they're not saying, you're terrible, you're deplorable, we deplore what you're saying. They're kind of wrapping it in the, well, you didn't follow all the rules and dot all the I's and cross all the T's. But it's like, as I said at the start of the show, it's like the, there's a sorting out going on where people are starting to not like where they're standing on Israel and Hamas. And, uh, and that's good. We have been uh, following on this show the killing of Paul Kessler in California. The man suspected of killing him at the competing demonstrations is a computer science professor. A computer science professor. Uh, a 50-year-old man, 50-year-old man, uh, named Loa Alnaji. Usual interview, neighbors are shocked, can't believe this happened. But his neighbors don't know him very well because he's got a YouTube channel and he's got a history of um, preaching radical Islam. He has family members involved in radical Muslim student activities. He was the faculty advisor to one of the radical student groups at Moore Park College where he teaches and he now is the person of interest in the death of Paul Kessler, who, by the way, there's not been an arrest yet. As far as I know, when I checked earlier, they had not yet 
arrest him. But he's a pro Hamas professor. He taught at a number of uh, California colleges. It's possible that the people for whom he worked didn't know his political views, although he did post them on social media. Um, but here's my point. I hope that there's justice for Paul Kessler, but I think there's a lot of El Najis. A lot. We are at the very beginning of this. Um, every single day, every single night, there are now attacks on Jewish targets in major American and Canadian and European uh, cities. This is not winding down, and it's not likely to anytime soon. And when you combine it with the intensification of the ground war, the propagandizing and the radicalizing of the people doing this stuff is only going up. So the, if you think about the two uh, sides that are clashing over there and then you look at the propaganda value of it over here, you're going to amp up more people, you're going to radicalize more people, there's going to be more content on TikTok and YouTube and what have you. We're just at the beginning of this. All right, a couple of other things I wanted to mention. Um, remember in the... Uh, Republican debate on Wednesday night, and we played it for you uh, the next day, Vivek Ramaswamy went after Ronna McDaniel, just torched her. She's terrible. She's awful. She uh, should resign or be fired. She's getting her revenge now, saying in an interview that Vivek Ramaswamy voted for Barack Obama when he was president. He says, Ramaswamy, that Ronna McDaniel is flat-out lying. I've never voted for Obama in my life. What, what, would you, uh, what do you think of that? Do you think Vivek was an Obama voter? I think he could have been. I could see that. The kind of people that voted for, Vivek, for uh, Barack Obama were a lot like Vivek Ramaswamy. I mean, they sounded like him. They, they act like him. They have that millennial superiority thing going on it's 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 not beyond the pale i i think i think she's scum for saying it i think she's really she's really she really is desperate i mean what a stupid thing to say but he he could have done it he may have voted for him you know what if he did that just means he couldn't vote for or didn't want to vote for the people that republicans like ron mcdaniel thought would be perfect you know, I, I will not hold, I'll say it now, I'm going to extend blanket amnesty on our show. If you voted for Obama in either 2008 or 2012, um, we, may, we may have a chuckle about it. Uh, you may have a story about it. But when I look at where the Republican Party's been, and I, by the way, I, I, if you were not listening to this show during those years, I, I, I didn't agree with anything Obama did. Not a fan. I'll, I'll, I'll give him that he has some political skills, but I didn't like his presidency. I don't, I, don't, I don't like him as a person. But but if you tell me that in those years you looked at the two choices you had between the two parties and you went with him, I'm not going to hold that against you. Just don't let it happen again. That's the important thing. We It needs to stop. No more Obama voting now, okay? That's, where, that's, our, that's part of our blanket amnesty. You... You can admit it. You just can't ever do it again. Okay. Do we agree? We have an agreement. We okay? We good? All right.
All right. Uh, 210-599-5555. Would it matter to you if Vivek Ramaswamy had voted for Obama? He says he didn't. How dare you? He says, I don't swing that way. I'm not, uh, I'm not like that. I, I, I don't know if he did or he didn't. Um, I, I didn't, and I, I'm glad I didn't. But I, I know people who did, and I know people who regretted it. And maybe, maybe he voted for him and regretted it. Or maybe he voted for him because he was repulsed by the people that the Republicans were running against him. And uh, here's the thing. I understand that Ronna McDaniel got her feelings hurt and she's got to lash out. But it's very telling that that's what she would choose to say. Like, of all the things you could, all the stones you could throw at this guy, that's a really weird one to throw. You do realize, Ronna, that your party had better be competing for former Obama voters. Your party better have a plan for getting people that voted for Obama. Like, your, your party is sunk. Your party is screwed. Your party's going nowhere if they don't have a lot of former Obama voters. So I, I don't know if you know that or you forgot that or your emotions bubbled over or whatever, but that's a stupid thing to say whether it's true or not, he says it's not. I, I really don't care. I'm not really on the the vague train anyway. But even if I was, that would not that would not give me pause. Um, and you know the other thing, I'll just then we'll move on. As far as giving money to candidates, most of the people that are influential in politics, most of the people who are influential in politics, which includes Names you and I don't even know, but they're the movers and the shakers. Most of them give money to both both sides. You would like to think that it's all very ardent and, you know, ideolo- ideological and, and, and uh, people are fervent. And there's an awful lot of feathering the nest and playing both sides of the street. Speaking of which, did you see this story? I, I thought this was really... It's kind of funny, and it's also kind of typical. Uh, two, it was announced by the Department of Justice this week that two, quote, high-end, unquote, brothels serving elected officials were shut down in FBI raids. The FBI raided brothels in Washington, D.C. and the Boston area, arresting several people, in the process, the DOJ release said that the operators advertised the services primarily of young Asian women for high-end political customers and quote-unquote elected officials. No names. We got no names. The same day that the DOJ closed down the high-end brothels, and they're always high-end, right? I mean, politicians don't want to go to any other kind. Well, of course, they were high-end. I do have standards. <laughs> uh, they vacuum twice a day. They're high-end. Um, the same day that they did these raids, the House uh, approved a $500 million new headquarters building for the FBI, despite the fact that Several members in both parties had been criticizing the 
cost and even the timing of building the FBI a new uh, HQ. You don't suppose there's any connection there, do you? Can't be, uh, can't be that there was any connection. Uh, the uh, Republicans that voted for the new FBI headquarters, by the way, included uh, Tony Gonzalez. Democrats who voted for it included Joaquin Castro and Henry Cuellar. So, so the FBI is getting a new headquarters, and the politicians are going to have to get a new brothel. Brothel is kind of a throwback word, isn't it? When I hear that word, I always think of like, it seems very Victorian, like a brothel. Like this is, is, is that like what, when, I've never been to one, but I mean, when people go out to get like sex with a prostitute, is that what you say? Like, hey, hey man, uh, what are you doing tonight? Uh, I don't know, why? Well, we're going to a brothel. Is that what people say? Is that like how you say it? Because I, I think people say like, I'm going to go party, or we're going to go meet some girls, or we're going to, you know. Like, I don't think brothel is actually the word. That seems like kind of a throwback word. I don't know. Just I, I like words. I don't know. I notice words. I can't help it. So, uh, What do you think the odds are that we'll ever know the names? Yeah, none. Zero. Goose egg. Uh, 210-599-5555. Um, good friend of mine, good friend of our show, Michael Shackelford, posted on Facebook, Candidates for San Antonio's next mayor should commit to the following. No public utility rate increases for the next eight years. No public utility fee increases for the next eight years. No new public utility fees for the next eight years. No extension of fees or rates for public utilities the next eight years. This should apply to SAWS, city public service, uh, etc. Um, and that's one of the things we're going to talk about with our next guest. He's District 10 City Councilman Mark White. He joins the show on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line. Councilman, good afternoon. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. Um, well, thank you for being there because uh, on so many issues, you're the only uh, voice of reason. Uh, so kind of break this down for us on why CPS is coming back for a second straight year with a request for a rate increase. Yeah, so look, we got briefed earlier this week by CPS on um, their their contention that they need more money for really what's an IT or a software upgrade. And they said, look, we, we didn't ask for a rate increase for so long. Uh, yes, we did it in 2021, but now we need some more money. And actually, they told us that it won't just be this year, but a couple years from now, they're going to be back again, and then maybe two years after that. And so that's what we're dealing with right now on city council. And we have the final vote on this issue coming up in just a few weeks. I mean, I don't have to tell you because you hear it all the time, but we are nickel and diming people out of their homes, out of this city. And I was thinking about this this afternoon when I was thinking about having you on the show. I, I remember, and I'm sure you do about 20 years ago, when progressives were coming up but not yet fully in control of city government when you had people like Ed Garza and Julian Castro still had a whole, you know, full head of hair. Like I still had a full head of hair back then, but these guys would talk a lot. Remember this Mark White, they would talk a lot about gentrification. They would talk a lot about how we can't price people out of downtown and we can't, we have to have a city that's livable for low income and working class people. It seems like once they got control of all the reins of power, 
that went out the window. With affordability, the idea that you could afford to live and keep a house you bought, they've, they've, they've blown that away. Yeah, it's true. And it's really, it's really unfortunate. And over the last week or so, my position with my council colleagues has been, why is it always that the San Antonio citizen is used as really a piggy bank, right? I mean, why is it that whenever we need more money or whenever CPS says they need more dollars, it's, well, let's go to the citizens and raise taxes or raise rates. Um, it's really, really unfortunate because what I'm telling folks is, listen, it may be true, CPS uh, does need a software and an IT upgrade, but we have two choices here. You know, you can go to the citizens and ask for more money like it seems uh, this city council always wants to do, or on the city side, as I've been proposing, we can actually make cuts and we can stop spending as much money um, and then invest in CPS, and then we don't have to go to the citizens mm. Uh, and ask for these rate increases. Um, but for whatever reason, uh, a lot of my council colleagues, frankly, just uh, they'd rather spend the money and then go and tax the citizens. Do you, uh, do you have any takers for that? Is there, are, there, are any of your colleagues with you on that? So there's a couple of them that I believe uh, have real reservations about raising the rates on, on, uh, on our neighbors. Um, and we're going to get briefed here in a couple weeks by city staff on whether the city staff believes that CPS has made the case for a rate increase. And, and look, there, there's no suspense there, okay? City staff is going to come back and say, yes, CPS does need the money. But, again, that's not the question, okay? Yep. Is, what we have here is a scenario where, yes, CPS does need to upgrade their system. The question is simply how are we going to pay for it? We're either going to go back to the citizens and ask for another rate increase, which, as you pointed out, we did just two years ago, or we're going to do the hard work as a city council, cut out the fat, right, and then do the work on our end, cut spending, and then we won't have to ask the citizens um, to pay more. And that's what I believe we should do. I feel like every time I see a city vehicle, it's a brand-new <laughs> current model year vehicle i don't have a lot of interaction with city government but it doesn't look to me like like there's any belt tightening scrimping saving making do with less i i'm not seeing it you're you're 100 percent right and look i'm new right this is only month six so i'm just going to tell you what i've seen in the six months that i've been there and and i you know i feel my blood pressure rising as as i think about it um, I just went through my first budget process, and the things that we spend our money on at the city, um, it's really outrageous. We, we invest in all these programs where we have no metrics to determine whether or not they actually work or not. We have no oversight on how the money's being used. You might have seen what happened with uh, Prosper West just a few weeks ago where we found out that um, they are not using city funds as they should be. It's really a shame. Um, the citizens that have elected us, I think, want us to be good stewards of the money uh, that they are that they are paying, right, of taxpayer dollars. And what I see right now is a city council, a city government um, that it, that is not taking their responsibility seriously with respect to how we're spending our citizens' money. 
And uh, you mentioned the vehicles, but uh, there's a lot of other areas as well. But listen, as long as I'm there, we're going to push, push, push uh, to stop the, the, the wasteful spending and actually put the money to work as I think our citizens want it to be. If I can uh, just take you through one more uh, topic, if we have a couple more minutes here, Councilman Mark White. Um, The deal to, I guess, lease the old Holiday Inn uh, on the west side of downtown and use it as a homeless shelter um, has set a lot of people's teeth on edge for a lot of different reasons. It's proximity to the children's shelter. It's... Uh, the cost, uh, the idea of housing homeless people downtown. I mean, kind of break this down for me. How do you see this? So, look, we we did a survey earlier this year about the top issue um, in our city, the top issues in our city and the homeless problem, the homeless folks roaming around the neighborhoods and things came back as as the number one issue in every district except one. So it's a real problem, and it's, it's a complex problem. So I am all for trying to move these folks off the streets and, and out of the neighborhoods, right, because it's a public safety issue. We, we don't want folks roaming around, around our neighborhoods, you know, at night or, or in the day or ever, really, right? So where, where, where do we put them? So the city's plan is to put Uh, It's called low barrier shelter, right? Move them into this hotel that can now house up to 400 folks. And, you know, I I don't know that it's, um, I don't know how well thought out this is, I've got to tell you, because as you mentioned, it is a lot of money. And for me, the issue is when you have able-bodied people that may have, you know, whether it's an alcohol addiction or a drug addiction, whatever it is, You know, our goal as a city should be to rehabilitate those folks, give them the workforce training they need so they can get back out into society and be a self-sustaining member of our community as quickly as possible. The problem with these low-barrier shelters is we move these folks in there. We don't know much about them um, or where they come from. And then once they're there, they don't have to accept these other wraparound services. So the question becomes, how long do they get to stay there, right? Well, and, and, and yeah, let me just jump in for a minute. Low barrier just means no rules. Yeah, right, as opposed to Haven. I mean, that's a very fancy way of, of saying you don't have to be sober, uh, you don't have to be off drugs, you, you know, we're, we're, we're going to look the other way. That's a, that's a wonderful Orwellian term. Yeah, and, and, and again, that, that's my issue with it. I, I'm for moving them off the streets and out of the neighborhoods, but then once they get there, they should have to comply. They should have to get healthy so that then they can get off the taxpayer dollar and back into society. And right now I don't think we have uh, the, the adequate uh, structure and rules put in place to make sure that this is going to work effectively. And so those are the questions that I'm asking right now. Yeah, well, they're, the, they're good questions to ask, and we're going to continue to track these uh, stories and keep in touch with you. District 10 City Councilman Mark White with us. Councilman, thank you for coming on. I hope you'll come back again soon. Absolutely, anytime. Thanks for having me. All right, thank you. I was reading a kind of an exchange people were having on X about Veterans Day 
and whether uh, you should say Happy Veterans Day. But I, I think the point is not how you should greet people on Veterans Day. I, I, I've been thinking about this today. That the best thing we can do for veterans is probably to make this country the kind of country that is worthy of the veterans we have. The people serving and the people who have served, um, we should be conducting ourselves, our public business, electing our representatives with a much higher threshold. There is a, a huge performance gap between the valor of our men and women in uniform and the honor of our men and women in government. And so we need to be the country worthy of their service, not worry about what we say or how we greet each other. Um, Speaking of performance, this is interesting. This is a study that was done by some educational research group, and it's called False Signals. And they took a look at academic performance before and after the pandemic. And, of course, the the pandemic was nationwide, shutdowns of schools, distance learning. And what they found, which you will not be surprised by, is, okay, student test scores are down, uh, standardized testing uh, scores are down, absenteeism is at an all-time high, But then they pointed out that while by every measure students are worse off, grades are the same. So, for example, in state after state, where the performance testing or standardized testing shows that real damage has been done, the grades have stayed the same or gone up. The grades don't reflect this at all. What does that mean? Well, we've all heard of grade inflation. And uh, maybe you've had the experience. I I know I've had it. And my daughter was a good student and, and worked hard and still works hard. But I do remember seeing things in her schoolwork and thinking that looks like a pretty easy assignment or that looks like an easy A. And I don't know. Comparing apples to apples, like my memory of that grade or that age, it seemed like the work was getting easier. That's great inflation. But this is something a little more fraudulent. This is convincing parents that the schools are back on track. We're, we're back from COVID. We're back from the shutdowns. Yeah, yeah, I know you were upset and concerned, but we, we, we're, we're back on track. The kids are back where they were before. We've repaired the damage. And see, this is part of the narrative of, you know, the teachers' unions, the Biden administration, the sort of professoriate of education. Uh, yeah, you know, um, the shutdowns were bad, but we're good now. Nothing to see here. Move along. It's not true. It's a lie being told to parents and taxpayers 
the pandemic damage is still with us. Because by objective measures, students are worse off. They looked at different districts. They looked in different states. They found that the average student fell five months behind in math and English. They found that absenteeism was at an all-time high. Every clear signal is that kids are in trouble. Kids are in trouble. But what is being told to parents and communities is the kids are fine. We're doing a great job. And see, it's not even praise for the kids. When the schools tell you the kids are fine, they're really stroking themselves. They're telling you how great they are. And we know that they lie. We know that they've lied, for example, about their role in and their enthusiasm for shutdowns. Randy Weingarten goes around saying, I was trying to get the schools opened as fast as possible. It's a total lie. So they lied during COVID. They lied about their role in COVID. They're lying now. And I know this doesn't come as a huge surprise to you, but I think it's interesting that somebody took the time to study it and prove it. What do you think about that? And if you think about what it might look like in our world, think about the girl on the body cam video that we played yesterday. Or think about um, all these people in the streets and college campuses whose um, passions are running way ahead of their knowledge. Think of the tendency to have opinions before you have facts and education. Think of the way we're voting. Because I think we're probably at the beginning of seeing how this plays out, right? I mean, if you take a whole generation and you break their education and preparation and what have you, we're really just at the beginning of that. A new study says that uh, student performance is down by just about any objective measure since the pandemic, but grades are not. So it's further evidence that We failed our kids during the pandemic by closing down the schools in the absence of science or evidence that that was the best or right thing to do. We're failing them since by painting over the cracks and hiding the evidence of the damage. And and you can't pass yourself off as somebody that cares about children and what happens to them uh, if you are you know hiding the damage. That would be like a like a pediatrician uh, not telling uh, a parent that they had detected a disease or a a tumor or a condition in the child they just examined. Um, I think it's that serious. Uh, 210-599-5555. Greg is on the radio. Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you, Jack? I'm good, thank you, Greg. How are Um, you? I wanted to say, I'm good. Um, I wanted to say, isn't that kind of like the old way they used to do grading on a curve when... Say you had a test of 100 questions, and you got 80% of them right, you were the best student, well, the teacher would give you the A, even though it's a B, low B, and if you got 60% of them right, but you weren't the lowest kid in the class, you might have gotten a, a D or a C out of that grade, and, you know, it's just kind of like lowering the bar again. 
I guess it could be. I mean, I, I, I'm not a teacher, and I, I guess there's reasons why you would grade on a curve. Sometimes I think teachers found that maybe the test itself was flawed or maybe it was too hard. If if nobody could go higher than an 80, maybe the test was too hard. I, To me, this is much worse than that. This is like saying we're going to report good news to the parents to shut them up, but we know that there is real deficiencies and damage to their kids' education. And, of course, it's not just the parents of the kids that go to school. We all pay for these schools, and we all benefit uh, if they do their job, and we all uh, it's all to our detriment if they don't. I, I just, look, I, I know it's hard. I, I understand it's difficult. I, I, I am a dad. I, I'm not saying that it's easy, and I appreciate teachers. I do. This is not to run down teachers. But this is about a system that has decided to cover its own fanny. And we're never going to make it right if we can't be honest about where our kids are at. And we, we know from objective measures, our kids are in worse shape than they were four years ago. They're in worse shape than, than their counterparts in many other industrialized countries. These are countries with whom we compete and in some cases with whom we will fight. And we are not sending our best into the world because of because of a bad decision, a corrupt decision, and then the colluding and covering it up after the fact. Uh, 210 599 And, you know, it's, it's not just like about knowledge of English or geography or mathematics. You, you and I see this all the time. It, it is so important to be able to think, to be able to sift through the stuff that comes at you every day. We live in an information age. It's never been more important to think critically. I mean, I'm not saying it was ever unimportant, but in a, in a time, in our, in our grandparents' time, they had a lot less to work with. And they could also trust the people that were sort of digesting the news for them. You know, your grandparents and great-grandparents grew up in a town with a local newspaper that was run and owned by somebody in that town. And he digested the news for them. He um, condensed and broke down what they needed to know to be good citizens, good voters, look out for their interests. And it was a trickle. It was a tiny trickle compared to the fire hose of information that comes at us today. Not to mention the fact that everything that comes at us today, whether it comes at us in raw form on, say, TikTok, or whether it comes at us in what seems to be very packaged and sophisticated form in a quote-unquote news organization's website or platform, but everything that comes at us today has strings attached, has dollars and cents and financial interests and ideology, not to mention the sheer quantity of it. So there's never, it's never been more important to be able to think. I mean, when people say we need to be on guard against disinformation, they're right. It's just that, unfortunately, the people saying that are often also the ones putting out the disinformation. So 210-599-5555. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a study out called uh, False Signals. Uh, 
It was done by two uh, educational reform groups. And what they found basically was, I'm, I'm making it very simple, when you look at student performance, all the objective measures like standardized tests that are given nationwide that are not unique to one district or state or school, those numbers are all down. Progress was halted. Progress was reversed during the COVID shutdowns. But grades are the same or higher, meaning grades are being given to obscure or distract from the damage that's been done. It's like painting over rust. You can make it look good for a little while, but the rust will come through the paint. Uh, Is it Nathan or Nat? Or I'm sorry, I'm not sure how to say this. Is it Nathan? Nathan will work, work, sir. That'll be fine. Okay, hi, Nathan. How you doing, sir? So I I love your show. I I like to, you know, drive home. And I I marginally agree with some of the the facts that that are coming out of of, of these studies. But I I also have to, to disagree uh, because no public institution can ever replace what a father or a mother can instill in their child. And my, my reasoning is my son is 14. He'll be 15 as a freshman at a public school. And from a very early age, I put him in private tutoring because I struggled as a student. And my parents couldn't afford to do that. So when I made a little bit of money, I made a financial commitment to my son, who I love, who is my heart, that he would never have to struggle in math or in science. And I pushed them. And when COVID happened, we were still doing our math. We were still writing. We were reading books. We were engaging in things that I experienced as a child, like how to build my own television, how to fix television, how to build my own radio, how to Mm -hmm. experience life. And his friends are not the sharpest tools in the shed when it comes to common sense, but Mm -hmm. they are extremely aware. And as a parent, I'm involved with everything that he does. I know he has a TikTok account, he has a Stitch account, he has all those things. And I'm relieved to find that they are posting about things that are going on with the war, things that are going on with the proxy, things that are going on with within their community. And I am for certain that the next five or six years, generations of children that are going to enter the, the world are more aware now than ever than the kids that are you know in high school getting ready to graduate college so I, I i agree with some of the studies because you know it, it uh, the wokeness is, is is around us but i also feel that that the next generation 24 25 27 those that graduate high school are going to be the ones that that wake this country up and i have every every confidence in the world that as long as the parents are involved at some level that we can turn things around and allow these uh these, these indifferences in, in the school ideology and the public system to, to correct itself. I, I really believe. I'll, I'll well, I mean, I, Nathan, I love what you're saying, and I love what you're doing with your son, I, but are you sure that you're not projecting what you're doing onto everybody else? I mean, I, I think you might be more of an exception than a rule. I think the exception is, you know, we have a lot of athletes that we glorify, and parents spend a lot of money on athletes to make the grades. So I think the the, the projecting of, of my exception is that my son is not just a scholar. He is an athlete, too. I think the direction is misguided. However, I don't think it's celebrated as much. I think some parents mm-hmm. would rather have their be celebrated as athletes than scholars. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, that's, my, true. that's my perspective. Well, I, I mean, I, I certainly I, I think you make a good point, which is there are always going to be 
uh, families and uh, kids that are uh, where the time is being put in, the work is being put in. But when you look at these numbers on this study, it's pretty clear that somebody is trying to hide statistically the damage that has been done. And so I, I, I hope you're right. I would love for you to be right. Um, and I'm sure there are exceptions. I just, I don't, I think we have a pretty widespread problem. And I, I think the evidence of that is all around us, as even you pointed out. I mean, um, there's just way too many people that are falling for way too much jive uh, for me to believe that there's a lot of critical thinking uh, skills out there. You know what I mean? I completely agree. And, you know, it, it's just a matter of time. And, you know, they, the numbers are skewed because, you know, funding will, will stop or the amount of funding will stop if a school is not uh, an exemplary school. So, yeah, they are grading on a curve. Absolutely. Children can turn in late work. Uh, children can retake a test. I understand that. And, you know, it, it's not preparing them uh, by any means. Uh, however, at the same time, um, you know, more vocational training, I think, is, it should be an alternative to just mm-hmm. higher standard education. Mm-hmm. So, that's how mm-hmm. I feel, um, yeah. and I, I, all we can do is hope and, and pray for the best. Well, you're doing a great job with your son, and, and Nathan, I'm glad you called our show today. It was good to hear from you. Thank you. Um, Greg is on the Jack Riccardi Show on KTSA. Hi, Greg. Yo, hi. Um, I couldn't disagree more with, uh, with what the last caller said in many respects, and I agree with what you responded with. And to my point, John Dewey in the late part of the 19th century, this has all been documented uh, They've written about this in the early, early part of the 20th century. The plan has been to gradually move our whole government education system away from teaching children how to think, teaching them critical thinking skills, to teaching them what to think. And I disagree totally that these children in a few years are going to be more well-informed just seeing how people have reacted to this whole Israeli-Palestinian thing and with the Hamas and and the inability to process that information and come to the right kind of conclusions uh, is just uh, is just mind numbing, and it's getting worse. These children are better informed. They have no critical thinking schools. The government school system is failing. It's not by accident. It's on purpose. We give them more money. It gets worse and worse and worse. And it's time to get your children out of the government schools. That, that last father, I applaud him for what he's doing with his son. But children that excel in the government schools today do it in spite of the school right. and the teachers, right. not because of That's, it. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I, I like what he's doing, and we should always support uh, parents like him uh, and, and hold them up, but not think or deceive ourselves that that's the answer and and it shouldn't be because i know i i feel like i had good parents i mean i love my parents i honor them i uh you won't hear me say a bad thing about them but i i I will be honest they had very little to do very little to do with my education um they were disciplinarians i mean you couldn't stay up till two o'clock in the morning but um they wouldn't have known if i was getting a good education or not um, I got a good education because I went to public schools that were serious and and good at what they did and taught by dedicated teachers and um, you know a, an investment was made but they got a good return on the investment. We paid high taxes and it was a very uh, kind of uh, 
kind of highly thought of and highly reviewed. I think they used to brag. When I was a little kid, they used to brag that our school district had been the subject of a Time Magazine story. I don't know if that's true or not, but they used to say, oh, you go to a school district that was in Time Magazine, you know. Um, But a lot of us, I think, maybe you, you are hearing this and it sounds familiar to you. Our parents did not have to do what Nathan is doing. And while I like what he's doing, you shouldn't have to do it. For what we pay and for what the tradition of a free, quote-unquote, public education is in America, as long as your kid goes to school and completes the work, you should expect and not have to raise a finger that you will get someone back who is a critical thinker, who is well-rounded, informed of our history and our principles, and also able to think about what's going on in the here and now. We, we have forgotten that they're, they're supposed to do all that even before you have the dedicated, committed, I go to all the meetings, I sit with my kid every night, parent, that's great. But they're supposed to do all that. And, um, and that's not happening. And I agree with Greg, I think it's by design. I think we... I think we can easily see, you know, the old Latin question, qui bono, who benefits from an increasingly ignorant, increasingly not thoughtful population? Who would, who would be the beneficiaries of that? And you'll know who's behind this. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. Five twenty six on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Uh, this was an interesting uh, conversation. I watched this. Uh, Laura Ingram had uh, Tom Massey, the congressman, on. Uh, he's a Kentucky kind of libertarian Republican guy. Interesting guy. Don't always agree with him. Uh, but he caught something in the 2021 infrastructure bill, which is a 1,100-page bill, that he wants everybody to know about. And uh, he was telling um, Laura Ingram on Fox uh, about it. It's a... Um, it's a provision uh, for a kill switch in cars if you are, in the opinion of the software, not driving safely or if you're driving recklessly. Cut number two. People said I'm a conspiracy theorist for saying this is in the legislation, but I actually had to read the Democrats, the bill that they passed two years ago. They passed this in 2021 as part of a 1,039-page bill to require that your car can monitor your driving performance, and if it thinks you're not driving well, it can disable your vehicle. Imagine you're a mom with kids in the car, and you swerved for a deer, and then you pulled over for an emergency vehicle to go by, and you've only got one swerve left. I mean, how terrible before it shuts you down and takes you to the side of the road. My question is, how do you appeal your conviction when you're sitting at the side of the road with a car that won't run? Who knows where? Stranded. Michigan Congresswoman Debbie Dingell uh, spoke against Massey's amendment. Massey's amendment did not uh, pass, but um, she spoke against it. And you can hear in her voice how panicked and angry she is that anybody would dare question this legislation. Cut number three. We need to stop drunk driving by making impairment prevention technology standard in new vehicles. It does not mandate kill switches 
or allow data collection that invades vehicle occupants' privacy. I protect data privacy in vehicles probably more than the sponsor of this does. It's ridiculous, and it doesn't monitor how you drive. I think she wants you to think it's like those breathalyzer interlocks, but those already exist. Those are uh, in place in most states by state law. This is something that is hidden away. And remember, when they hide it, it means they're not proud of it. It means they don't want you to know about it, because if they were proud of it and they thought they had done something really super cool, they'd be bragging about it. They'd be putting their name on it. It would be the so-and-so bill. Uh, so Massey responds to what Dingle said, cut number four. Well, she needs to read the bill that she voted for. That's the problem. It does. And after she said that, I did read her the bill. Here's the other thing. This isn't a breathalyzer. The 31 states already have ignition interlock devices where if you've been convicted of a DUI, you have to blow through that in order to start your car. That's not what this is. Now, this bill also has the ability, it says that car manufacturers need to somehow passively monitor the air in the car to see if you've been drinking. The problem with that is what if you're the designated driver and you're trying to get somebody home who's had too much to drink? There's so many ways this could go wrong. It's basically a backseat driver, a nanny. And to her point about privacy, I'm worried about that as well. How do you know if somebody's driving well on the road they're on unless you know which road they're on? So you need to know their location. Who has access to this information? Yeah, I, I hate to I hate to say this all the time, and I, I, I guess I probably say it too often, but I can remember when everything he's saying would have been coming out of the mouth of the most left-wing, the most liberal, you know, traditional liberal Democrat, limousine liberals. They were all about privacy. Don't trust the government. Don't give the government uh, power uh, and reach into your life. Uh, I was encouraged to see that AOC actually backed Massey's amendment. I don't don't know if that's going to make it uh, more or less credible, but she, at least in this issue, is acting like a liberal should. Liberals should be the first ones to say, no, we don't trust uh, Big Brother. They used to be, anyway. Uh, Tell me what you think about that. 210-599-5555 sounds like a super cool new feature that will be in your... Upcoming new car. Thank you, Democrats. Um, have you ever heard the term passport bro? You know what a passport bro is? I bet Don Cooper doesn't know. He's very hip. Passport bro is the new term or the term for the new trend. I don't even know if this is really a new trend. Men are seeking foreign women to date and or marry. Hence, passport bro. Men are going abroad for broads. And the reason, and the reason they say, <laughs> is that um, they believe women from other countries will be more socially conservative. Like they will be more um, into a traditional marriage or... Uh, into um, a traditional role in marriage or role in the bedroom or role in child rearing or whatever it might be. And so these passport bros want non-Western women because they are frustrated with what they are finding with radical feminism 
And with the increasingly um, high or demanding, uh, uh, I guess you'd say, conditions women have uh, for men, that, that, that women in this country are not looking for what, what, what we are, and they are not what we are looking for, ergo, these men are going abroad. Passport bros. What do you think of that? 210-599-5555. I mean, I guess, I guess this is just a new way of framing. They used to call them like mail-order brides, right, or sex tourism where guys would go abroad to get with women who would be maybe more, I don't know, interested in Westerners or open to Westerners or whatever it is. Um, I, haven't, I don't know anything about any of this. I'm just, just, just telling you what I'm reading. Um, and part of what's driving the passport bro thing is that more and more people can now work from anywhere. So as the higher and higher percentage of people that don't need to live in the city where their company is or go to their office every day, you could say, well, I'm going to live in, you know, Thailand or I'm going to live in, uh, you know, Finland or whatever it is so that, because that's where I want to have my social life. That's where I want to put down roots. That's where I want to meet my mate. And I'm still working for my company in San Antonio. Uh, more and more dating apps now allow you to uh, basically date or meet, not date, but meet people from all around the world. So you used to be, uh, dating apps used to be very geocentric, like you would set mileage limits. I'm looking for people within 10 miles or 20 miles or 50 miles. Now uh, they say more people are setting it as no limits. Like I'll, I, I want to meet somebody. I don't care where in the world they are. And I guess my question would be, so I think I understand the motivation, but I wonder if it really works. I mean, I mean, if are you just telling yourself, if you're a dude in this country and you, things aren't going so well in your social life, your dating life, it's kind of a dud, are you telling yourself, oh, I, I, there's, there's some hot stuff out there for me if I just go to another country? It feels like that grass is always greener thinking that people have, you know, where not just with dating, but with a lot of things. You, you, you ever know anybody that, that thought, I'm unhappy or I don't like my circumstances, I just need to live in a different state? Is it just that? Are people deceiving themselves? Like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a loser in this country with American women, but, oh, if I go to Europe or if I go to Asia, uh, oh, I'll be, you know, they'll be lined up at the airport for me. Uh, Audrey is on the Jack Riccardi show on KTSA. Audrey, what do you think? Hi, Jack. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Um, I have seen it firsthand. I visited West Africa um, for a month uh, this earlier this year. And the passport rolls. I am a black female. I'm single. And I'm having trouble uh, finding decent men here in the United States. And I'm finding that most of the men and the women in those foreign countries, they're not built with tattoos, they're not built with nose rings and all of this crazy stuff that's going on here, and they're very conservative. And I was, mm. it was almost like, I'm 55 years old, and mm -hmm. what I experienced is the way we grew up back in the day, and mm. most of the people there are very conservative, and it was almost like going back in time, and it was very refreshing. Mm. But yes, a lot of them also think that when they go there, that suddenly they're going to be what they're not here, but you actually are the same person. So a yeah. lot of them are getting disappointed 
Some of them are because once you go over there as an American, you're considered prime, and they will target you and marry you just to get to the United States. See, that so would be my problem. That would be my yeah. problem, Audrey. That's yeah. what I'd worry about because yeah. yeah. my insecurity yeah. would be, is she really interested in me, or do I just look like a bridge to the United States? Exactly. But that was my comment. I appreciate your time and your allowing Thank me you. to speak on it. Okay. Thank you, Audrey. Appreciate you. All right. So Audrey says she's seen it. Uh, that the people in uh, when you meet socially meet people in other countries, they don't have some of the toxic qualities that are accruing. Uh, and it's not everybody. And I don't want to make it sound that way. And I look. I don't think. I think if you're struggling, I'm not. This is not a dating show, but I'll just say this. And you, you would certainly not want to take advice from me. But I will just make this observation. Um, if you're struggling or not meeting people that you are happy with or you're meeting people but you're not happy with them, I, just, I would not immediately conclude that you need to start dating people in other countries. Uh, and I, I, although Audrey said, yeah, they are, there is a, a tendency to be more socially conservative, less whatever, less faddish. You know, there, there could also be other problems, right? Um I, I wouldn't give up on your fellow Americans just too quickly. And and the whole thing about finding love overseas, that just sounds very pie in the sky to me. That just that just sounds like something that somebody would sell you and fool you with and oh you know, then you, you get over there and now you're you're still lonely, but now you're also thousands of miles away from your friends and your buddies and your support system i don't know i'm not not sold on that um i i guess though um it probably works both ways like there's probably also passport sisses right <laughs> passport bro passport sis would that what we call her i don't know 210-599-5555 uh the uh kmart stores in australia have had to pull off the shelves a promotion for Christmas hams. It seems a might early to be promoting Christmas hams, wouldn't you think? But they had come up with a uh, packaging idea where the hams came in um, festive drawstring bags emblazoned with the words, Merry Hamas, H-A-M-M-A-S. You know how people think you can make something Christmassy just by adding M-A-S to it? Oh, it's Toyota Moss. It's, you know, it's, it, yeah, it's McDonald's Moss. Okay, so they, they thought these are Christmas hams. It's Hamas, Hamas. And people immediately said, kind of looks like you're, promoting the terrorist group and they were like oh yeah we're gonna uh we got that wrong we apologize and we are pro pulling the product from the shelves i i mean what kind of meaning did they have on this was there no one in that meeting who said excuse me have you considered that uh like how do you get how does that get past people it's not the biggest deal in the world but, I mean, and you know what they were going for, and I'm sure they meant, meant well, but, like, 
all the people that had to sign off on that, no one, no one noticed anything. There were no like in the in the Zoom meeting, nobody clicked on, unmuted their microphone, said, "Hey, you know, uh, we got this wrong, and we apologize unreservedly." A company representative told Politico.com, "When designing this product, we clearly didn't think through all the implications, and the product has been removed from sale." Hopefully the hams will still be available, just not in those bags. So maybe they could uh, say Merry Christ ham. No, I don't think that's, no, okay. How about just a Christmas ham, you know? The old ways are the best. I think it was about a week ago that we were talking about tipping, and one of the um, food delivery services had announced that they had a pilot program where they were testing out a program where uh, the drivers would be able to see who had left a tip and what the tip was, and they could factor that into accepting the delivery or not, because the, the drivers are, are gig employees. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're independent contractors. And uh, the implication was that if you left a bigger tip, your food might be delivered sooner with more alacrity, and if you left no tip or a smaller tip, you might be waiting a while to get that uh, lo mein or pizza or whatever it is. I got a nice uh, letter from uh, Darren who says, Jack, I do Grubhub about three days a week. It supplements my other jobs. I don't accept anything under an $8 delivery. The way I see it, if I get an offer for 6 or $7, I look and see where I'm picking up and where the delivery is. If they're close together and I'm close to the pickup, I may take it. If it's $7, but where the pickup is three miles from where I am and the delivery is five or more miles away, then it's not worth the wear and tear of the gas used on my vehicle. That makes sense. It says, I base my accepting the offer on what the price is because we don't see the tip. We don't see what the tip is until the delivery is complete and closed out on our app. My acceptance rate is not great, but I get the schedule I want, so it's fine. The more deliveries you accept, the higher your acceptance rate, which affects the scheduling one might want. Uh, I... I, that's that all makes sense. Like if I was going to do it, I would do it Darren's way. Uh, but the whole reason we were talking about it was because they're tr- they're proposing to turn that around. And so tipping, if tipping is something that you do before you receive the service, and a lot of people had a problem with that, like how do I know what I'm going to want to tip when I haven't yet received the service? But on top of that, if the if the driver can see the tip, um, I don't think that's going to work out in the long term. Yes, drivers will, obviously, favor higher tips. But people like to feel, if I may say this, I think people like to feel like they are adding the tip in in good service and appreciation for the convenience I don't think people want to see the tip as bidding to get their food. Like, oh, i got to leave a bigger tip so this food will get here. We're starving. Uh, that should not be how it works. And I think if you do that and, and people get that, that vibe from it, it's not going to be very popular. So when we were talking about this, we were talking about a lot of people called in and, and said what Darren said. That's the way it is. They're talking about changing it, and that's what we were 
talking about. That's why we were talking about it. But it was an interesting uh, conversation. Speaking of unfinished business, and Don Cooper, you'll remember this. Last Friday, we had a lady call in on the dish with a broken chairlift. She was calling to praise the restaurant, and she liked it, and she was eager to go back there, but she mentioned just sort of in passing in our conversation, yeah, I, I want to go back again soon, but I can't right now because my chairlift is broken. And we had a lot of people say, well, we would like to help her, um, but we don't know who she is. So we haven't found her yet. We, we never did find her, okay. no. And but, but you have you might update? be surprised. People are always surprised when I tell them this. We don't like... Um, I think people figure when they call in, we're keeping a, a database or... <laughs> yeah, we're not... We're not that sophisticated, you know. We don't. We to, you you call this show, the call ends, you hang up, and we, we have nothing. We got nothing. That's it. So we we don't know that you call. We don't know who you are, and um, if if anyone knows her or if she's listening, maybe she'll be listening during the dish. Um, there are, there are some people that would like to help her if she still needs help, and uh, we can put them together. So, speaking of help. Um, and I come to you once a year, and I try not to belabor it, but we are in the time of year when we're, when we're uh, you know, kind of working on wrapping with Jack. And if you haven't yet given, if you haven't yet thought about it or made a decision about it and you feel even like it's too soon, I can't really make decisions about Christmas and spending and donating, look, I get that. Just to let you know, we have to have whatever money we're going to raise and whatever gifts are going to be donated, we need to have them in the next couple of weeks. That's all we have. And that's that's the way this works in order to help these families. And there's hundreds of families and thousands of people served by Family Service Association of San Antonio and Wrapping with Jack. In order to do this, we're not on the schedule for Christmas shopping and preparation you are. You've got till December 24th at midnight. We don't. We have till basically the first few days of December. So if you can... Take a look at it on KTSA.com and give right there, right now, what you're able to. I would be grateful. You will be helping each member of each of these families, each of which is in a genuinely desperate situation. I mean, Family Service Association, they know who they're working with. They know the needs. They're, they're, not, they're not getting scammed by anybody. But each of these family members, we want to have a, a gift that's wrapped with their name on it, for them to open on Christmas Day. And you can give gifts, you can give money. All the ways to give are at ktsa.com on the Wrapping with Jack page. You'll see the logo up on the homepage for that. And then we would love for you to come out. We would love everybody to come out on the night of Wednesday, December 6th for Blue Bonnet Palace in Selma. That's where we'll have the big wrapping party and the big Christmas broadcast and the music and the fun. And uh, But to get to that, and in order to have presents to wrap, because it would be horrible if a lot of people came and we didn't have anything for them to wrap. So in order to get to that point, we need you to give what you can uh, and when you can, and now would be the, the time to do that. Uh, and the Wrapping with Jack page is at ktsa.com. It's presented by Quarter Moon, along with River City Oral Surgery, Institute for Functional Health, and Copenhagen Imports. Bees and cornbread. Bees and cornbread. For a long, long time on our show, we would have a segment 
or an hour or whatever where people would call in and talk about restaurants. And we finally figured out, like the geniuses that we are, that the place to do that really would be Friday night because you're the end of the week. It's People are starting to get a little... You know, a little, little tired of the, the heavy-duty, sad, tragic uh, world is coming apart at the seams kind of news. And also, uh, with the weekend approaching, people are looking for places to go, things to do, ideas. What do you feel like? 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 So that's why we uh, turn over this hour of the show. We, we, it has its own name. It's the only hour of the week that has its own name. We call it The Dish. And we turn it over to you. At 210-599-5555. We don't have a restaurant critic or reviewer. We don't have a, a Siskel and Ebert of, of restaurants. But we're, we're just basically talking about restaurants that, in the way that you would tell a friend or a coworker, or you'd come home and tell your husband, oh, man, i got to take you to this place. I, we, I went for lunch today, and we have to go back for dinner. You're going to love it. Uh, it can be a restaurant that's new. It can be a restaurant that's new to you, like you just discovered it. It can be an old favorite that you want to tell us about. It can be uh, a hole-in-the-wall little place. It can be a chain restaurant or a fancy high-dollar special occasion restaurant. It can be anywhere around San Antonio or South Texas. And you can praise or zing. But I just want you to know that I also have very bad social anxiety. You and me both. (laughs) Okay. Praise or zing. Um... The food, the price, the service, 210-599-5555 is how you get in on the dish and make that call. So we're just talking about restaurants in a very casual way. Anybody can do it. I have a ton of people that have told me over the years I've never called the show for, like, politics, but the dish is easy to call in on, and I have done that. You're welcome to make, if this is your first time ever calling, this would be a great time to do it. You know, great, great way to get in on it. 210-599-5555. 210-599-5555. We're talking restaurants. Of course, along the way, we're also getting your votes on the JR poll, and we'll have the results on the poll question right before 7 o'clock. Um, saw today a story that says they have discovered um, traces of cannabis in 17th century Italian bones. Uh, This was in the Milan area of Italy, suggesting that Italians who lived in the 1600s, 1700s were pot users. Using it, it is believed, to treat gout, urinary infections, birthing pains, and much more. Um, And this is despite the fact that the Catholic Church at that time had issued a decree labeling cannabis an unholy sacrament and banning its use among the faithful, but the Italians were using it according to what we're finding in their bones. And, of course, they invented pizza, so, you know, just just putting those together, just saying. Uh, 210-599-5555 to praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience on the dish. We were talking about um, tourism, like Passport bros, places to go, things to do. Uh, if you uh, want to put this on your to-do list or your, your future travel plans, uh, LeBron James is um, going to open a museum to himself. The LeBron James Home Court Museum 
was announced this week, dedicated to the life journey and milestones of the kid from Akron, Ohio, which is him. And visitors will pay $23 to see a recreation of the apartment he grew up in, clothes that he wore, uh, various athletic equipment that he used. It says various athletic equipment that he used. You know, my mind right away went to a bad place. I <laughs> Hopefully not all the athletic equipment that he used. Um that is, you got to hand us to LeBron James, though. Building a museum to yourself, that's some, that's one self-confident guy. I mean, I know, like, presidents have libraries, but they don't, that's, that is a little different. And the, technically, they don't do it themselves. Like, they have a, a there's a committee and uh, it's a whole kind of honorarium process. Yeah, this is LeBron saying, "Yeah, I'm going to open a rest, uh, open a, a museum to me." This sounds like a uh, big tax write-off. Is what this sounds? Oh, like. you think? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or just, um, or just a place to store all of his trophies. Maybe he's just running out of room. I guess I have a museum to myself. Um, it's called my garage, um, and uh, just to let everybody know, uh, for the month of November, no charge. So. Line up those buses. Yeah, it's, uh, that's something. He's, he's not lacking in confidence, that guy. Uh, 210-599-5555. As we talk restaurants on the dish, and Charles is on the radio. Happy Friday night, Charles. How are you doing? I'm good, Charles. How are you? Good, good. Yeah, it's uh, Julian's in Alamo Heights. Um, I'll never go back there, for sure. Really? What happened? Well, I... I hear I listen to to AM station all day and I walked in there I'd never been to Julian's cuz I I I love pizza I'll go out of my way to buy pizza and the pe- the pizza actually was good but the service was terrible cuz I I got there a little bit early before my pizza was done I ordered it online and I walked in and asked for the pizza. It wasn't done, so I sit down at the bar. So I figured I'll I'll sit there and I'll just have a drink while I'm waiting on the pizza. And then there was some local people walked in beside me. I'm sitting there with my wallet open. Everybody just walking by me at the bar. It's a fairly short bar. And those local people walked in, I guess. I guess they were locals because everybody behind the bar. <laughs> okay, get get move it move it along, Charles. So what what happened? The local they went straight to the local people, wanted to show them the wine list, and I'm sitting here with my wallet open, and they just totally ignored me, like I was just not there because evidently I'm not a local, and I'll well, never go back to that place. That's, that's I, I, I'm worst, sorry, I'm having a little trouble understanding what. Did you were you had you ordered a drink and they didn't bring it to you or No, no. I my pizza wasn't done. I ordered right. it online. Well, if they knew so you I, were waiting for the pizza, why do you feel like they were ignoring you? I don't understand then. I'm sitting there with my wallet open and I I 
people are walking by me behind the bar, and I'm I'm trying to motion them, and they don't even look at me. They just so, go to the. But you had, you the, had obviously asked for your pizza, and were told it wasn't ready, right? Yeah, and I walked over by the door. Then so I you I'm were waiting for the pizza bar. to be ready, Charles? Just because what? they advertise on your channel doesn't. No, no, no. Mean no I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to understand what you're telling me. If you went in and asked for, "Is my pizza ready?" and they said, "No, it's not ready yet," and you sat down to wait for it. Yeah, but I I tried to motion them. I'm like when they're walking past me, when the local people walked in. And they don't even look at me. They're like, oh, hey, hey, Bob, George. Uh, so you felt and, that they ignored you. Yeah. But then when you I'm got your pizza, your pizza open. was good. No, the only time, no, the only time that they actually paid attention to me when I, I walked back over to where they make the pizza and the mm -hmm. guy comes over and he says, the guy from behind the bar says, can I help you? I mm -hmm. said, yeah. I'm trying to get my pizza so I can get mm -hmm. out of here. Right. And I told him, I said, you ignored me. The woman right there at the cash register ignored me, and everybody ignored me. Okay. I just want my pizza so I can go. Gotcha. Okay. All right, Charles. Um, and then he hung up. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, because I'll tell you something. When you call about a place that we advertise, I'm taking, like, more interest in that, not less. And you can be assured if if something happens that I don't think was right or what we uh, promise you, um, I take that very personally, and I go right to that business owner and the people I work with to a man and woman, when I tell them, hey, one of our listeners didn't get a good deal or didn't get what we promised them, they're very interested in that too. They're very motivated in getting that, putting that right. I don't know what the hell he's talking about. I, I, I don't understand what the the problem was. If you're waiting for pizza and they know that's what you're doing, they're not going to interact with you again until the pizza's ready. But does that make sense? Am I? Am I? Did I miss something in that? In the telling of that tale, maybe I did. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Anyway, uh, you can uh, make your call to praise or zing. You can absolutely talk about even restaurants I like and promote. Absolutely, you absolutely can. PK is on the dish on KTSA. Hi, PK. Hey, man, what's up? Uh, it it's it's happening. It's up. We're we're up. We're doing it. What's what's going on That's with you? <laughs> I, had, I was just calling about that last caller for, about the Jillians. I've been going there for years, <clears throat> and uh, never ever had bad food there. Never ever had bad service there. And I'm like. You know, and I'm not a, well, you know, if you want to consider me a local, I, I have been living in San Antonio for a while, but I've never seen anybody else before me or after me mistreated or have any type of argument. So I don't know what's wrong with this guy. I think he should. Well, I don't even, I, I'm sorry because I really didn't even understand what the, besides what you're saying, which is that you don't experience that, I don't even know what the problem was. No, I don't either. I, I don't know what he was talking about. But I, because I, if I you're waiting for food, yes, they're going to ignore you until your food is ready. ready. Because what <laughs> right. else are they supposed to do with you in the meantime? <laughs> you're right. And then the other thing is uh, I was calling about was, uh, oh, uh, I guess people have called in about barbecue. Uh, has anybody called in about the burnt bean and singing? Oh, yes, many. Yeah, great many. Do you like that place? Let me. I, I just like to go on top of that because 
I spent half my life in Houston, so uh, the other half here in San Antonio. Uh, barbecue joints are to Houston what Mexican restaurants are to San Antonio. Yeah. So I yeah. know, I, I think I, I, I have a pretty good feel for barbecue. Anybody who's been to Luling, Lockhart, wherever you go, uh, you know, that's decent, you know, let's say. But, man, this stuff is off the charts. It is off yeah. the charts. Yeah. So, uh, Burnt Bean Barbecue, 108 South Austin Street in Seguin. Yeah, we, we have had a lot of calls. What's your favorite thing to get there? What do you like best there? Well, the first time I went there, I went with a friend. And the funny thing is, he said, man, you got three boards here. And, you know, you go to some barbecue joints. This one's okay. This is so-so. And this is good. He goes, everything on the board, everything on the board here is really, really good. So yeah. I went overboard. You know, and, uh, you know, the sides, the dessert, the the, the uh, beef and whatever, uh, the barbecue brisket is, is my favorite. So, yeah, uh, yeah. but every, he was right. Everything on the menu is A+. plus. Yeah, very good. Car- uh, PK, it's good to hear from you. Thank you for that. And, yeah, praise for Burnt Bean Barbecue in Seguin. In fact, the brisket's what probably gets mentioned the most as I look back at the calls. We've been getting calls for a couple of years. Uh, 210-599-5555. On the dish, praise or zing, Carlos is on the radio. Hey, Carlos, happy Friday. Uh, happy Friday to you, Jack. Thank you for taking my phone call. Uh, I, I'm going to tell you about my experience at uh, at uh, Magnolia there on Hebner. Um, me and my son went. We hadn't been there in a long time, and I kind of forgot the reason why I didn't go. Uh, it seemed like they put onions in everything that they can figure out how to put them into. And I don't, I can't have onions. They don't do good things to me. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I asked them, can you get it without onions? No, it are, it's already mm-hmm. mixed in there. And so, you can know, I asked I, what it was. I, what did you order that had onions in it? Well, the, the, the biscuits and gravy. And I mean, it, when I say chunks, I mean, it had chunks of onions in there. And yeah. I just like, you know, I guess Mr. Fleming's a connoisseur of, uh, you know, of onions, I guess. I'm not sure. But anyway, yeah. to make a long story short, um, I had uh, another thing that I forgot. They don't really have pork sausage. They have what they call whole, whole hog sausage, whatever that is. It doesn't take like it doesn't taste like regular pork sausage or anything. That's the other thing that I had. But oh, okay. anyway, the, the last thing I wanted to say is the surface is good. I tip my waitress accordingly. But as far as the value is concerned, you know, it was nine thirty in the morning. I, I normally I would not spend $55 on breakfast for me and my son. But, you know, it's just kind of, and he ordered one of the most simplest things, you know? And so that, that was kind of, a, that was, so you had biscuits and gravy and he had something very simple and that was he all had, the two uh, of you had. Uh, and it was $55. Yeah. He had, he had a platter that included eggs and a couple of yeah. strips of bacon and pecan pancakes. I had the oh, biscuits okay. and gravy yeah. I had the biscuits and gravy. I, I think you might find, though, Carlos, if I may say this, that if you went to Expectation or uh, the other kind of, you know, competing places, I think you'd probably have a ticket around that. I, I don't think that. These are these are high-end breakfast places. These are not, you know, Happy Meals. No, so no, I understand. It's, it's probably pretty comparable. The onion thing, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I, I, guess, there, I guess something like, the gravy probably is just made with onions, you know, I, I, and I understand you can't have them, but I'm not sure how the, how you could have been accommodated on that, right? No, 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 and I know I wasn't expecting anything, and trust me, I'm not I'm not dogging the place or anything like that. I'm just yeah. I just wish that they would consider. Did they tell you, know, you? Did they tell you they would accommodate you and then didn't, or are you just saying no, I had no, to get no, it no, with no, the? None, 
No, that that's the way it comes, and that that's and the way it I, comes. See, okay. I didn't know that. I didn't know that, and I just said, I wish they would mention it on their on their menu. Do you, you know, do you ask plate and when you go to places, hey, um, I can't have onions. Are there onions in this? Or normally, I don't make that be nuts because you know breakfast. I've 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 never. I can tell you, I go to a lot of places for breakfast, and that's basically one of the few places I know of that ever puts onions in their biscuits and gravy. <laughs> I don't normally. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I've I've had it all over. The I don't place, think I've ever know. made gravy that didn't have onions in it, but but I mean, I'm not a professional chef, so I don't. Oh know. yeah, brown um, gravy and ground ground gravy and all that other stuff. Yeah, but it's mushroom gravy. Yeah, yeah but when it came okay. to biscuits and gravy, no. But anyway, gotcha. Uh, just one more last thing. The gentleman was <laughs> men- mentioning that place in Seguin. What uh-huh. is the name of it again? Burnt Bean Barbecue. Have you been there? Yet? No, no. We've had a lot of calls about it. I've not been there. I've, I've got to go check that out, but I'm a connoisseur of City Market in Luling, and for the pricing, I okay. guarantee you, if you've never been to City Market, you'll, you'll like it. it really I've been to City Market. been around yeah. a long, long time. Yeah. So, anyway, you have a great day. Have a great you too, Carlos. Happy Veterans Day to everybody, all right? Thank you. You got it. All right, Carlos. Thank you. Uh, 210-599-5555 on KTSA. You can praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience on the dish, whatever that might be. Um, and, of course, we'll have those poll results coming up right before uh, 7 o'clock. Yeah, I've not been to uh, Burnt Bean. I, to tell you the truth, I'm not much of a barbecue. Like, I'm not one of those guys that like takes road trips for barbecue. Um, so, like, my favorite barbecue is all pretty much all stuff around here. I know there's good stuff if you go uh, up toward Austin and out toward Houston and Seguin and probably in all directions, but, um, yeah, I just haven't, uh, a lot of these places I have not yet tried and they're kind of like aspirational. Like I plan to one of these days, but I haven't done it yet. Uh, and I, I probably, if I had to estimate the percentage of restaurants that we've ever had calls on, I maybe have been to like 1% of them. So we, I mean, we get calls about hundreds and hundreds of them. We're talking restaurants on the dish. You can get in and sound off and praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience at 210-599-5555. You can email me, jack at ktsa.com. Nina says, I've been listening to the show for the last several years, and that was the worst half hour of the dish I have ever heard. Where are you getting these people? I'm just. These are just the people that are, <laughs> that are calling. I'm not getting them. Uh, Peter in Laredo says... Uh, you've just endured the most annoying half hour of radio I've ever heard. I admire your patience. I, I don't know. Yeah, it seems like um, those were just insoluble uh, problems. I couldn't unravel them. I'm, I, I feel like I'm, I feel like unsolved mysteries, you know, like we should put out the call if you can solve the mystery. Uh, 210-599-5550 is the Jack Chat line. That's the number that we have if you want to call after hours, if you're listening to the podcast, if you don't get through on a topic. Uh, it's always available, and you leave a voice recording, so it's your name, your town, your comment. Let's see what we have right now on the Jack Chat line. Jack, this is a stub on in phone nine. I wonder what the DEI crap would it be. Uh, less of a penalty if she had a white guy or more of a... A penalty if she had an African-American lesbian. 
And as far as her being drunk, I've joked about being happy when I was between two cop cars driving home when I was a shift shift manager over at Burger King because that meant I wouldn't be hit by a drunk. And she, yeah, hmm. you're right. She needs to grow up, and this DEI crap is just crap because she could have killed any other any human being, and that human being's families would have grieved for oh. for that person that she killed. Okay. Yeah, I think he was talking about the uh, the girl we played. Was that yesterday that we played the the uh, yes. traffic stop with the yeah so the 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 person who was uh, dealing all the victim cards out of the deck. Uh, and had all those excuses. Um, all right, next on the Jack Chat line. Hi, Jack. This is Dan. I'm from San Antonio. I heard your story about the woman who was pulled over and flailed the sobriety chest. I heard you say that the police officer should get some sort of accommodation or some sort of award. I totally agree. He was a, he was a constant professional. Uh, she played Every victim card out there, from generational PTSD, whatever that is, to being indigenous, to uh, being triggered by the word ma'am. You you can't get much more. And the police officer acted totally professional. He didn't waver. He didn't back down. He did his job the way he was supposed to. But thanks for listening. Thanks for having me. Okay. Yeah, I hope they give that guy some kind of recognition, uh, or maybe maybe use his uh, use him in the training. You know, like play his uh, little clip there for when they're training for traffic stops. I would think. I don't know. Uh, just what I would do. All right, another one on the Jack Chat line. Hey Jack, this is Alan from Spring Branch. Okay, I called in a little bit ago and left a message about the uh, kind of the two party systems and how they're failing us, and kind of how they have the, the market. Uh, so to say, and everything else is, you know, it's just a subpar. And I think other, any other party or candidate that's not in the two-party system is just kind of subpar. But the Republican Party is especially failing us. So I was thinking uh, kind of back when Ross Perot ran and did pretty well, it, it would be interesting if Trump ran under his own party, like the MAGA party. And even though he would lose the election, of course, he would, he would certainly give the Republicans a run for their money or might even beat out the Republican candidate. And it would really make the Republicans kind of stand up and take notice that uh, uh, that there's a problem here. But anyway, it's kind of a silly idea. Maybe get their act together from a party perspective. Yeah. Well, when I was listening to Alan, I was thinking, you probably will never see somebody run as a third-party candidate if they think they can win in one of the two parties. I mean, Ross Perot was was blocked. He couldn't do that. Uh, and Donald Trump right now, conversely, is leading the Republican field and looks potentially electable as a Republican. So I, I don't think he will do that. Um so that's your first conundrum is the only people that run third party are people that, that can't run and win in the parties. It would be more credible if somebody said, you know, I could be the Democratic nominee or I could be the Republican nominee, but I'm so done with those people, I refuse to do it. I won't, you know, I, I, won't, I won't be their, their, their uh, nominee, their representative. The, 
the other thing that Alan said, though, that I guess I disagree with is I don't think if if somebody gets out there and outperforms one of the two parties, in other words, let's say you run as a third party or you run as an independent and you manage to come in second, meaning you, you outpoll either the Democrat or the Republican, I don't think that would, quote-unquote, bring them to their senses at all. They would just demonize you. They would just say that you destabilized our system and you were a, uh, you know, you took advantage of people and you, you're a charlatan or you're a demagogue. I mean, the two parties are not going to go quietly. They're never going to, like, come before us and say, folks, we, we got to come clean. We've, we've failed you. You've shown us the error of our ways. Thanks for pointing it out. We, we, we've had a wake up call. We're going to do better. It's not, it's not going to happen. It's not in their nature. Um, I, I don't know how this story ends, but I don't think it ends with humility or ownership of their of their mistakes. And yeah, people are disappointed. You know, I, I I really think there's way more people disappointed than we know, because when pollsters, you know, do these surveys, are you for Trump or Biden? Most people are just going to pick one of those two, because that's what you've given them, and. Yet I don't think people, I don't think there's a lot of people in either party that are terribly happy with those parties. Or I don't think there's a lot of people who tell the pollsters one answer or the other that are super enthused about either one. Um, But uh, right now, everybody's watching Robert Kennedy, see what he's going to do. And he's polling very high in the third party polling. Is he doing that because he is some sort of right man for the moment kind of person or is he the repository for all that frustration like are are a lot of the people that are saying well my choice is is robert kennedy jr is that just because that's how you say you're fed up with the other two i don't know and then i wonder about joe manchin now we told you yesterday that joe manchin's not going to run in uh for re-election next year in, in west virginia that doesn't mean he's not going to run for anything uh he's forming a commission I was reading about this today. He and Mitt Romney are forming a deficit commission. And, you know, make your own joke at home. How many of those have we had? But um, I wouldn't be surprised, really, if he, maybe with Mitt Romney, forms some kind of no-labels candidacy and and we get that. I, I, I don't know if we're done with the field. Seems like there may be a few more... Surprises along the way. But in any event, um, yeah, do we need a third party? We need a second party. <laughs> we, we, need somebody, we need somebody in the Republican Party who takes more seriously differentiating from the Democrats. That would be a good start. 210-599-5550 is the Jack Chat line. And... Uh, if you want to leave a message anytime over the weekend or anytime, you can do that. In the meantime, we are taking your calls live on the dish and talking restaurants and getting your poll votes, and we'll continue to do that. Uh, 210-599-5555. I saw where um, the Beyond Meat people are doing big layoffs. Their revenue is plummeting. Um, They're actually selling somewhat higher in Europe, but they are... 
dying here in this country. I think they had their peak, didn't they, really? The Beyond Meat and the Impossible Burger people and all that. That stuff had its peak during COVID because there were supply chain issues, and people thought, well, let me try this. I know that's when I tried it. It wasn't awful, but it was no replacement for beef or chicken or whatever it was. Uh, But uh, they are saying that they are having to cut lines and plants and employees, and they fell way short on revenue uh, in the latest um, reporting period. I I would wonder if um, they maybe came along too soon. These synthetic meat producers came along too soon because it looks to me like the real push to get people off of meat is coming. Politicians are going to drive it, not the producers. And, uh, you know, they're, they're talking about us eating crickets and ants and what have you. So may, maybe the Beyond Meat and the Impossible Meat people just, they, they were a little ahead of, their, uh, ahead of their time. I'm not looking forward to it myself, but that's what they're trying to push on people. Um, crickets, really? You know, that's supposed to get excited for that. 210-599-5555. Praise or zing? Your most recent restaurant experience A leader from a different generation is going to put this country first. Or do you want Dick Cheney in three-inch heels? They're five-inch heels, and I don't wear them unless you can run in them. I wear heels. They're not for a fashion statement. They're for ammunition. Don't, don't, still don't really understand that. But okay. Um, what are your heels for? No, wait, don't answer that. Uh, J.R. Pohl, this is the birthday. Today is the anniversary of the debut of Sesame Street on public television, 1969, this day in history. And are you, uh, were you a Sesame Street kid? Uh, did you grow up watching some Sesame Street uh, back in the day? 29% say yes, 71% say no. Uh, we'll have a new J.R. Pohl question live Monday when we get started at 4. You can find it anytime at KTSA.com. We're going to talk a little more history here coming up. And uh, Mary is on the dish on KTSA. Mary, happy Friday night to you. Happy Friday. Thank you. So I am calling about El Toro. No, I'm sorry, Toro Kitchen on 1604, the Stone Oak location. Um, Mm -hmm. My husband and I love going there. They've got amazing uh, food, Spanish food, not Mexican. We're talking from Spain. And their paella is just awesome we usually get the the traditional um and on tuesdays they have um buy two tapas and you get one free and oh my gosh slap yourself silly the mushrooms are so good um so we just we could pretty much just fill up on on their tapas um so but yes definitely a a a really good little restaurant to go to Hmm. and then i've been been by it many times do they seem to be doing well are they are they pretty busy um you know it's it's hit and miss i think a few times we've been there um during the week it's it's um not not too busy they're definitely busier on uh friday and saturdays Oh, okay. So, um, but yeah, they've got great, and you can uh, take your own wine, and they've got you know corking feeds. So they're they're just mm-hmm. um, great, um, just 
Uh, I don't know if it's family owned, but um, all the waiters uh, and waitresses are just lovely, lovely young people. So we just go there for fun. I know the downtown location has flamenco, um, um, I think, Friday nights. So that would be a a kind of a cool place, you know, if you have company in town and want to do something different. So, um, but yeah, so I just wanted to share that. Um, Very good. But also as far as... um, Julian's and Magnolia's, you know, definitely five stars. We've been going there for, for years and years, and we've never had a problem with uh, Julian's. Love their pizza, absolutely. Well, just make sure your okay. wallet is open, Mary. Yeah. I don't know what that meant. I was sitting there with my wallet open. I don't know what that means. All right, Mary, it's good to hear from you. Thank you for the call. And that's our first call for Toro on the dish. Uh, I Yeah, I've seen it. I've wondered about it. It's in that shopping center with... Uh, Magic Mushroom and the Dance Studio and uh, 1604 at Stone Oak. Uh, it's on the 1604 Access Road, westbound Access Road at uh, Stone Oak. Toro Kitchen, Spanish food. Um, there was this place that I have been wanting to see for years. If I ever got out to that part of California, Orange County, California, um, th- they built two of the, I think they're the biggest wooden hangers in the world and they were built i believe like in the 1940s for dirigibles and stuff they're they're so big they have like their own uh climate conditions when there have been there have been conditions where it rained inside one of them that's how big they are 17 stories high over a thousand feet long and uh, anyway sadly one of them caught fire and burnt this week I think there's still one left, but uh, Tustin, California, and uh, it was a uh, a base for dirigibles, and it was a you know during World War II, a ton of facilities and bases were built like very quickly, uh, and then many of them were abandoned. And I believe this had been maintained kind of for its historic purposes. I don't think it was still in use by the military. Uh, but I've read about it over the years, and I, I hopefully the, the other one will will hang in there, and I'll get to see that one of those days. Hey, Jack. Speaking of history, though. Hey, Jack. I'm sorry? Jack, it's Tom Perumian. Oh, oh hi, Tom. I'm from Orange County, California. I know the uh, the uh, dirigible uh, hangar. There's there. two of them, There's, right? There is. There's two of them. They're okay. at the, uh, the former El Toro. Uh, Marine it, Corps yes. Air Base yeah. out there. Uh, they were built uh, in the in the in the 20s. Uh, one did oh, okay. burn. The other one is used as a movie studio. Oh, okay. So apparently they're not like right next to each other. Where the fact that one burnt, it didn't threaten the other one. Huh? It didn't catch the other one on fire. Good. They're they're Good. they're close to each other, but they're not real close to each other. Okay. Well, I'm glad there's still one. I I need to see that before I. Uh... There's also one Pick at Moffett. The There's also one at Moffett uh, Air Force Base outside oh, of San okay. Francisco, or Naval Air Station outside of San Francisco, as a matter of fact. There you go. Well, thank you for that, Tom. I appreciate that. And yeah, it's kind of a bucket list thing for me. Um, and while we're talking history, before we go tonight, um, this is the anniversary of the sinking of the ore carrier, uh, ore carrier Edmund Fitzgerald. Uh, which I believe was in Lake Superior this day in 1975. It might have been forgotten. It might have been a one-day news story, but for singer-songwriter Gordon Lightfoot. And we leave you tonight with uh, the song that he wrote that has meant so much to the survivors and their family 
uh, and uh, families and uh, and everybody in that area because it's kept the memory alive and it tells the story. So tonight we'll leave you with Gordon Lightfoot, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, the KTSA. The legend lives on from the Chippewa on down of the big lake they call Gitchagumi. The lake, it is said, never gives up her dead when the skies of November turn gloomy. With a load of iron ore, 26,000 tons more than the Edmund Fitzgerald weighed empty. That good ship and true was a bone to be chewed when the gales of November came early. The ship was the pride of the American side, coming back from some mill in Wisconsin. As the big freighters go, it was bigger than most, with a crew and good captain well seasoned. Concluding some terms with a couple of steel firms When they left fully loaded for Cleveland Then later that night when the ship's bell rang Could it be the north wind they've been feeling? Still